To episode 68 of the Movie Brats podcast. I am Carter, and joining me, as always, is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing fine, and we're going to talk about something that means a lot to both of us, perhaps not as much as the average uh, film viewer, but why don't you tell the audience what we're going to be talking about today, a little bit different from usual. No yeah, a little, movie reviews. yeah, a little different sort of format. This is more of a topical discussion um i guess you could say sort of generally about the state of home viewing of movies but a little more specific than that i guess and a primary sort of focus on physical media and also the sort of limited availability that comes with relying on streaming services to consume um all of your movies or tv shows because of uh as we've seen with hbo max the sort of uh fleeting nature of things being exclusively available on the internet because just like that the snap of the finger it can be gone while with physical media you actually have a bit of ownership over uh not the movie but at least a version of the movie that you can consume whenever you want so it is sort of an important thing especially for people who are cinema lovers to uh to maintain a collection of of things that they are or worth sharing with other people or worth revisiting or Maybe just sort of worth maintaining a private museum in case the apocalypse happens. Um, well, I like to, well, I like to say that this is especially true coming after a few uh, months or so of the HBO Max news where, yes, the big thing was that they made this Batgirl film and they spent about $90 million and they're just not going to release it. Mm-hmm. But they've also pulled many HBO Max original films and TV series and episodes of TV series, like a few hundred episodes of Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. And uh, a number of these are available to stream on other services such as renting it on Amazon Prime or YouTube. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them are not on physical media, meaning they're not on Blu-ray or DVD. So if other services end up not letting you rent them, they're pretty much gone unless you illegally download them. If And I don't like that as a film historian. It may not seem like a badly reviewed Melissa McCarthy film. It's like, oh, <laughs> is that such a loss for cinema? But it is if a movie really cannot be legally accessed and it's not on physical media. It's, uh, I don't like this future where uh, it doesn't seem like I, I think that the main types of movies that keep physical media alive are boutique labels like the Criterion yeah. Collection, Kino Lorber, Severin, uh, and w- more than any genre, I think, is horror movies, is that horror movie fans will buy 20 copies of different versions of something. They'll buy the VHS, they'll buy the special edition VHS, they'll buy the special edition DVD, the three-disc DVD, the mm-hmm. Blu-ray, the 4K Blu-ray. And they often have amazing special features, interviews, audio commentaries, featurettes, trailers, and that is something that you don't get on a lot of streaming services. No. You don't have these. I mean, there are some on the Criterion channel, audio commentaries, behind the scenes interviews, but 
it's not the same as having it on a disc altogether. Well, another thing is, you know, just the way the movie looks can be changed by streaming services. I know this is something Netflix does quite often where they'll crop the frame to have it sort of fit on full, you know, take up the whole screen for sort of the average uh, home television. Well, in most if cases, the, it's right, like, like a, if two, what is it? Two thirty-five one is right. the sort of format. A lot of stuff is shot in that you get a little black strip on the top and the bottom of your TV, which is sort of how it's meant to be seen. But is I, that you know. true of Netflix? I thought that like HBO on cable would do that or Showtime, but I didn't think Netflix or Amazon Prime. No, Netflix, did that. it was doing it at least uh, for the first few years that they were streaming. There would always be sort of picture comparisons. I don't know if that's still something they practice, but um, if you are a purist, <laughs> that's really not what you want is to you, have you stuff missing on- within the frame. Yeah, go on to imdb.com and look up and be a nerd. Is it 185, you know, <laughs> yeah. a one or 2351 or more? <laughs> and I think that with now let's not let's be clear. Streaming is an incredible resource. We have greater access and easier access than ever in the you know history of cinema and home video. We have greater access than ever. There are thousands and thousands of movies you can legally rent on Amazon Prime, YouTube, uh, YouTube uh, Apple TV. Now, Netflix has a really lame catalog of what you can stream in the sense that there are very few films that came out before 2000 and virtually no films that came out before 1980. Yeah. I mean, well, if they do, honestly, it's just sort of like they bought the rights to some stuff and it'll be gone in a few months. Yes, and we were talking about with physical media, you know, it's like Charlton Heston with his guns. Like, you can't, you're not going to take this Blu-ray from me unless it's (laughs) from my cold, dead hands. And even on places like iTunes or Amazon Prime, you can buy a digital copy of a film. Like most people, you can stream it for $3.99 in high definition, but then you can buy it for $12.99. But if they decide that they no longer offer that or some rights issues happen, it it can just be pulled from your library and you don't get a refund. Mm -hmm. And I think that is not a good idea. I don't like that because (laughs) uh, that's why, and I'm not saying that, oh, you should buy every movie ever made. That's impossible. But especially if it's a movie that means something to you, don't just assume, oh, it's on Netflix. I can stream it because they take and add things all the time. And all the services, HBO Max, Amazon Prime, Hulu, Mm -hmm. Criterion Channel. I mean, there's a lot of films that are on the Criterion Channel seemingly always from the beginning. But then you look and there'll be some real classic international film that it's going to be leaving at the end of this month. So you can't always pick, you can't always think that they're going to always be there. Yeah, the Criterion Channel does something a little different than most streaming services in that it's sort of like a rotating uh, sort of database of films. It's right? curated. That's one yeah. of the big things. It's curated. I see funny pictures sometimes, like I think it was on HBO Max, where it had a category of films known for their state-of-the-art special effects, and A Clockwork Orange was one of them. And I was like, what? I don't <laughs> like, I don't. No, maybe that's true, but it's just odd categories and it's like an algorithm putting them uh-huh. out. But the Criterion Channel has these really incredible curated series. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly the Criterion Channel is one of the best services, streaming services out there. 
but I'm really glad that not only are they still releasing physical media, DVDs, Blu-rays, they've in recent months done 4K Blu-rays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's another thing too, is that, you know, even if you have the strongest internet, I think a 4K Blu-ray or a Blu-ray is going to look better than almost any streaming. Well, it's definitely more consistent too. Right. Um, and, you know, this is something we don't want to, we both obviously do stream movies and subscribe to streaming services, but there is also the sort of paralysis by overwhelming choice that you get with streaming services where you can just sort of scroll endlessly. And I think, you know, Netflix introduced the, what is it like random button, which I think is a very odd way to consume movies. You basically just press, you know, shuffle and watch whatever Netflix presents to you. Um, I have a friend who is a really, a uh, huge fan of Orson Welles, seen all of his movies. He's one of the few directors with like 10 plus movies. He's seen all of his movies and he, it's like a running joke now. He has not seen Mank. And it's like, <laughs> how have you not seen David Fincher's movie about the making of Citizen Kane? Oh. And it's the fact that he can watch it whenever and therefore, well, I can watch it whenever. Yeah. And that's part of the problem. There are movies that I would have rushed out to see in a theater during the pandemic you know, if it weren't for the pandemic, uh, but because they were streaming, it's like, oh, I can watch that whenever. Mm-hmm. And it's really great to have films on physical media. I mean, yes, if you own it, you really can watch it whenever, <laughs> yeah. even if it gets pulled. But one thing I want to add to the way I get movies is through libraries, like brick mm-hmm. and mortar libraries. I frequently check out films from the library And one of the things I really want to recommend to people is interlibrary loan. It's really a great way to get movies, especially movies that are not legally streaming anywhere. Mm -hmm. I make it a point. I have a running list of movies that are not legally streaming anywhere. And I have a list and I go to my local library and 95, 96% of the movies I've requested over the last four or five years since I've been back in South Carolina, they found. Oh, wow. If a, if a movie has been at least at some point released on legit physical media, even if it's been out of print for years, if you have a good library with interlibrary loan, they will find it at a college or another you know, public library. Mm-hmm. And so there have been you know, over 50 movies I've gotten in the last four years that are not necessarily super obscure. A number of them are rather not well-known movies, but there are ones. And at the end of the episode, we're going to end with picking some of our favorite movies that are not, at least at this moment, currently streaming anywhere. But Mm -hmm. I've really taken advantage of interlibrary loans. So number one, if you don't even have a library account, go to your local library, get a public library account, get a card, get a membership and ask about interlibrary loan because I've gotten a lot of interesting movies. And one thing about you're talking about with the endless access with streaming, even though they take things away all the time, (laughs) is that when you get into a library loan, they'll often let you have it out for like a month, but but there's a due date and you like have to watch it or you know, you're going to have to get late fees or you can try to renew it. So that's actually one way I watch movies, actually watch them. Like there's a set limit. Like there's back in the day where you had Blockbuster, you 
had to watch it because it was due in five yeah. days or a week. <laughs> so it's really wonderful the access we have with streaming, but it's interesting physical media, especially through libraries, makes me watch more movies that way. Yeah, the other sort of uh, rental service that I know we both get a lot of stuff from is the Netflix, uh, the actual physical mail service. Um, the way it started. Yeah, which I've been a subscriber for. I initially was the, what was it, Blockbuster? Do you remember that when Blockbuster did the mail thing? Yeah, I was, I, uh, uh, I was a member of that before Netflix. <laughs> I've been a member of Netflix for like 20 plus years. And I briefly had a little uh, affair with Blockbuster.com, but then I went back to Netflix. <laughs> and uh, I think there are a lot of younger people uh, that don't even know that how Netflix started and that I think a lot of people in general don't know that they still do Netflix through the mail. And, and it's a way to get a lot of movies that are not legally streaming anywhere. Yeah. For example, I have Kiss of the Spider Woman out currently, Best Picture nominee, Best Actor winner for William Hurt. I got the Blu-ray, not legally streaming anywhere. Uh, previously, I got Caligula, the notorious penthouse-produced pornographic mm -hmm. epic starring Oscar winners Helen Mirren and Peter O'Toole, as well as Malcolm McDowell in the titular role. And mm -hmm. it has three audio commentaries, three audio commentaries, one with Malcolm McDowell, one with Helen Mirren, and one with a man who worked for Penthouse behind the scenes. And you know, that movie's not legally streaming anywhere. I don't know how much it has to do with that. It's a pornographic movie, but there's a lot that is surprisingly not streaming anywhere. And it's a great way to access movies. I actually have, what version do you have of getting films through the mail? Like I just what, do one at a time. You have unlimited one at a time? Yeah. I have, I'm so old and I had it so long. I actually have a deal that, is no longer offered and I can keep it as long as I don't cancel or change it. If I change it or cancel it, I get uh, rid of it. I get <laughs> one out at a time, but I only get two out a month. But really that's enough because I often will keep films out way longer yeah. than I should because there's no due dates. Well, just, yeah, that's sort of the trouble with it is sometimes I'll keep a movie for like a month and a half and not watch it. I kept Chariots of Fire for 11 months. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like never felt like watching Chariots of Fire. And then often when I watch the movie, I'm like, oh, this is really good. But I remember I had My Fair Lady out for months and months and months. And I don't know how much money you would. It's like probably <laughs> some of these that are like $80 out of print uh, on Amazon, on Blu-ray or DVD. It's like, well, if I kept a movie out of Netflix for seven months, maybe it was about the same price as if yeah. I bought a used copy of it on Amazon. But it's still a great way to access movies. And the cheapest one that you can still get with one out at a time is still only like, I mean, it's less than $10 a month. I think I think it's like $5.99 for mine, I right. think, something like that. Right. Um, but even, even that, I mean, there's still... Um, I mean, I have 96 in my queue, but I have 76 that are listed as saved, which even Netflix doesn't have access to. So even with that, I mean, Netflix still has some trouble with, you know, getting everything on physical media because um, and when it sort of comes to that, I mean, more often than not, um, the stuff that I do have saved will appear on Turner Classic Movies at least once in like the next two or three years. Um, so that's also a very good resource. If you have a DVR and Turner Classic Movies, you can just sort of build up, 
this sort of reservoir of uh, stuff that really isn't available a whole lot of other places. There's a, a few movies uh, that I could maybe mention later that um, are available on DVD, but not streaming anywhere that I watched for the first time on Netflix or sorry, on TCM. <laughs> right. And uh, I record things all the time. The only problem with that is that even if you get like a hundred hours recording space on your DVR, you know, basically build yeah, up. Like 50 <laughs> movies. And I recorded uh, because Turner Classic Movies does in uh, August, the star of the month where mm-hmm. each day they have a whole day for uh, one actor and the last one of the month was Peter Sellers and yeah. I've seen a lot of his movies but they had one that has not even ever been released on DVD or Blu-ray mm-hmm. and I recorded it so it's you know you can obviously see things like Citizen Kane and Casablanca and Singing in the Rain yeah. <laughs> on Turn Closet Movies but they have some really obscure stuff especially in the middle of the night or yeah. in the early morning early afternoon uh, they have some pretty um things that are not easy to access or not super well known maybe but are really interesting no and usually there's some method to how they sort of screen movies together and we'll do sort of double features and stuff like that so i think if someone was interested in sort of learning about especially sort of classic cinema but it's not only stuff from like the 30s and 40s they do show some more contemporary stuff sometimes but you know if five days a week someone watched tcm from 8 p.m to midnight i think he would get a hell of an education on film history right uh, <laughs> and very much like the criterion channel it's curated mm-hmm. that's something that's lacking from uh, most of the other streaming services and i think that uh turner classic movies they have if you have cable i mean honestly we were talking uh, earlier uh before we started recording that if we could only have one channel that would, you know, old school cable channel that would be Turner Classic Movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they do have an app, even though I don't like you can't cast the app to your television. Mm-hmm. I think that it's just so, and I don't want to watch something on my phone or my laptop, but <laughs> if you have cable, you can put in your information with the TCM app. And they have, I think, like they have a a few dozen movies that have been aired in the last few weeks that you can stream at any point. And then like, once it's reached a certain point where it's, you know, aired so long ago, it gets taken off, but they have this good library of movies on the Turner classic movies app. So even if you don't use it uh, Mm -hmm. or didn't know you could use it, if you have TCM, if you have cable log in with your cable information on the app and it gives you access to, uh, and not a huge, you know, it's not like Criterion Channel, but it ha- you, you'll yeah. have a batch of movies and a lot of them are ones that have aired recently on TCM. So you don't have to watch it or record it right when yeah. it airs. You don't have to be watching at 2 a.m. to see a movie that, you know, isn't available anywhere and won't be shown again for four years. So there is a way to sort of catch it after the fact. Right. And I think we should talk about when and why and how we buy actually purchased to keep blu-rays uh dvds mm-hmm. i'm pretty obsessive compulsive in the sense that i don't ever buy a dvd anymore unless i can't legally stream it mm-hmm. somewhere um i only will buy blu-rays and uh, i just recently started buying some 4k blu-rays mainly the criterion collection even though i have a region free DVD player, well, a, a DVD Blu-ray player, but it doesn't play 4K. Mm-hmm. And uh, I honestly have not felt 
like I want to unplug my player and plug in my 4K because I don't really have that many, but I got the Raging Bull, Citizen Kane. Um, I got uh, some of the recent Criterion collection that have been released in 4K. And, uh, you know, that it's really incredible how good some of these films look, even if it's something like Citizen Kane that's, you know, yeah. 80 years old. I mean, it's like, you know, people may think Well, it gives that, new life to it a lot of the times. It becomes right. a little and less sort of stuffy think, oh, and accessible. And people may think, oh, well, like, how could, why would this movie that's 80 years old in black and white and full screen, why would it need to be in 4K? But it actually replicates the film stock and mm -hmm. the intention of the filmmakers better than any other physical media up to this point. Yeah, mm -hmm. Blu-ray is better than DVD. DVD was much better than VHS, but 4K, <laughs> the picture quality is incredible. And I don't feel like every movie necessarily needs to be in 4K, like The Evil Dead or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But mm -hmm. um, I still buy physical media. Uh, and what are some of the main ways that you, you buy physical media, Carter? What outlets? So uh, for most of the stuff, like you said, the only stuff I generally buy on DVD are things that I can't really get on blu-ray or streaming which i've done for i think basically the five i'll talk about here and most of the time i do that it's usually through amazon either through you know their used dvd market um which i think i'm probably one of not a whole lot of people that that utilizes that option which was the you know amazon as it was first intended was for selling books and other sort of physical media um but then the criterion collection i think is the the best sort of boutique physical uh, Blu-ray and 4K um, service available. And generally I buy from them through Barnes and Noble in July or November when they do their sales or 50% um, off. Yeah. 50% off or through Amazon. Actually they offer not the whole sort of collection, but generally they have sort of select titles that are available 50% off most of the year without the discount they're $40, which is a bit, you know, steep for a Blu-ray or something like that but you know twenty dollars for a really beautiful cover art amazing special features and the, pretty much the best transfer you can you can get through any sort of physical media i think criterion is uh you know sort of top of the heap at the moment i also want to say that kino lorber is one of the best too and they release mm -hmm. Uh, perhaps even more films than Criterion. I mean, Criterion, yeah. uh, the 15th of each month, if it's on a weekday, is when they announce their future announcements. But Kino Lorber does a lot. Uh, one of the picks that I'm going to talk about uh, of films that's not legally streaming anywhere, uh, there's uh, an actor I love who they have a number of his movies and they're not legally streaming anywhere. And they all came out within the last two years, including one of my top 10 films of all time, not oh, legally wow. streaming anywhere. But uh, they off, they also have a sale uh, every so often, Kino Lorber, and mm -hmm. they'll have ones like really good restorations, audio commentaries for $10, $12. Yeah, a lot and, of classic movies too. Um, right. Which the Criterion, I think, has started to sort of shift a little bit of its focus to uh, more contemporary, but especially movies made by minority or female directors is sort of what they've been focusing on over the last couple of years. And Kino Lorber is just sort of all over the place with classic movies. I think it's a little less maybe selective about what they release because they're not as 
like the packaging isn't as like uh, you know detailed or stuff like that. It's pretty much more of like a standard Blu-ray that you'd find, but it's stuff yeah, that is mostly exclusive to them, from what I can I can think of. I don't think they're like just releasing things that are available on other formats, which Criterion does do. Like for example, Wes Anderson movies you can get on sort of standard Blu-rays most of the time, but I think all of his movies are also in the sort of you know juiced up criterion version with the the cool directors approved yeah exactly and the special features and stuff yeah but kino lorber uh often has audio commentaries and they have new 2k or 4k restorations and one thing that's really good about their releases is that uh they often well i would say the difference between criterion and kino is that they both have a lot of overlap in the type of films but Kino, even more so than Criterion, does kind of classic Hollywood movies. Mm-hmm. And Criterion does some, you know, many classic Hollywood movies, but they also do a lot of international classics. Yeah. And and I think it's wonderful, like you said, in the last uh, year or two, they've been releasing many more films by people of color uh, directors and women directors because there was some, I think, New York Times article just like two years ago where there was like, thousand plus films in the criterion collection and there were like four by black directors or yeah <laughs> uh so now they have love and back basketball buck and the preacher coolie highs coming out and deep uh, cover and that's yeah and you know the malcolm x is coming out 4k so it's really wonderful that they're being more diverse and it's they, but they also still, you know, they're going to release a classic Robert Brisson film on Blu-ray that's mm-hmm. not been out on Blu-ray, or they'll release a classic Hollywood movie. They still, you know, they're, yeah, they're one that diverse. I'm really excited for is uh, Arsenic and Old Lace, which is being released in November, or sorry, I think mid-October, or late October, whenever it comes out. But... And and that's one that had never been released on Blu-ray in the yeah. US, at least. And it's, yeah, it's a batshit crazy movie. That's one of my favorite of the sort of old Hollywood screwball comedy. So very excited for that to come out. Yeah, I mean, we won't do this in this episode, but there's uh, a list I have partially in my head, but I also probably actually wrote it out at one (laughs) point. Uh, Movies that are not on Blu-ray in the US that I would very much like there to be a blu-ray uh my favorite preston sturges film the miracle in morgan's creek freaks is not on blu-ray mm-hmm. um there are some of my favorite films by my favorite directors michael hanukkah's cachet uh you know i'm not saying you know a number of these are easily available on dvd but i wish they would get a criterion or kino lorber or some of the horror films get a super duper 4k restoration with a bunch of special features blu-ray mm-hmm. release at some point but um, yeah, I wanted to uh, single out uh, another way I get movies sometimes is a deep discount. It's just this website that sells movies and CDs and the prices are a little bit high, but they frequently give you 10%, 15% coupons if you sign up for their email list. And usually if you get those coupons and you find the right movies, they'll end up being a little bit less than Amazon, which is usually the best price you mm-hmm. can find something unless it's like Criterion or Kino sale. Uh, you know, Amazon usually has the best prices, but Deep Discount is one that also has films that are, you know, all, if something's available to buy, you can probably buy it on Amazon, but Deep Discount sometimes has movies that are, 
a little more obscure. Like there mm-hmm. may be, um, I mean, they might be like the, I've come across some movies that are out of print on Amazon, but they're available to buy on deep discount. Mm-hmm. So that's just a random one that I uh, every so often get a batch of theirs. Yeah. There's not too many other places uh, that I get them from. So I think, I think all the ones I'm going to mention here, I, I got through Amazon, but well, you think uh, you're I, ready to I, reveal. <laughs> well, I just wanted to say one thing that's been more depressing uh, as the years have gone on is that Best Buy actually used to be a really wonderful place yeah. to get physical media. And now they almost exclusively have uh, just electronics like you buy television and computers and printers there and they have just a handful of almost exclusively recent 4k blu-rays mm-hmm. and they're uh often too expensive like you can get them cheaper on amazon frankly yeah and uh it's like there's no way that you can go into uh any best buy or target or walmart in the country and get like almost any movie that's older it's just yeah, you're not that's why was a where I got most of my DVDs sort of up until basically like 2010 or so. Right. Um, but there are also random things where you go to a big lots or a target <laughs> and randomly like they'll be in the shelf somewhere like this movie. Why is this here? Uh-huh. No, I've Kane seen a few of those. <laughs> right. Like I went to big lots a few months ago and they had a Takashi Miike film. Yeah. Uh, and I was like. You know, and it's bizarre too. Like, the, I remember just seeing on social media that they went to kind of a Goodwill store and there was like a shelf that had like 150 Blu ray copies of the Angelina Jolie film Salt, like 150. <laughs> like, like, there was a whole shot. It's like, how did that happen? You know, just bought every copy is still available. Yeah, but like, you can go to a Big Lots or some of those places and they'll have like a new Blu ray of a movie and it's like $5. Uh huh. So that happened uh, uh, Blinded by the Light, which we reviewed a few years ago, the sort of comedy about a uh, British Indian sort of growing up and being exposed to Bruce Springsteen music. I bought it at Dollar General for like $2.50 on Blu-ray. So. Right. And I bought like the first <laughs> I bought the first season of I Love Lucy on Blu-ray at Big Lots for like $12, uh-huh. the whole first season. And that's back when shows had like, you know, 39 episodes a season. Uh-huh. So, you know, the you know 85 percent of the movies i buy 90 percent i buy online and that's been true for the last many years but uh you know so i would not recommend to people if they're trying to find a specific movie to go to any specific store mm-hmm. um uh, online is the best way to find it the easiest way but don't discount you know second and charles uh, is a store around the country that has you know mostly used DVDs and Blu-rays, but they'll have stuff that's out of print because people come in and trade them, like they're getting rid of their movies and they get money or they mm-hmm. trade in. And I found some really obscure stuff there. Like, and it, sometimes like something will be on sale on Amazon used for like really exuberant prices, yeah. and it said Second and Charles for six dollars. Yeah. So. Well, I think we're going to take a very short break here and then come back and reveal some of our favorite movies that we own or possibly watched on TCM that are not available to stream anywhere. So we'll just take a short break and be back with you in a second. All right. So, Jonathan, why don't you get us started on uh, your, I guess we can call this a countdown of physical media. 
Right. So these are films that are, at least at the time of this recording, not currently legally streaming anywhere. And one way to check a great app slash website is just watch. You type in a film or television show, it tells you where it's legally streaming and if it costs money, how much it costs. So Amazon, Disney Plus, Hulu, Netflix, Canopy, there's like dozens and dozens of streaming services and it will tell you if it's not legally streaming anywhere. Mm -hmm. So um, I will say that uh, one that is not legally streaming that I got through interlibrary loan is a lesbian romantic comedy drama called Show Me Love, or it's more risque title, Fucking Amal. It came out in 1998. Uh, it's a really great uh, young person coming of age, coming out film about this kind of nerdy, uh, not necessarily nerdy, but just kind of shy and doesn't have a lot of friends, uh, young lesbian. And mm -hmm. she kind of, befriends this more popular girl and she starts having feelings for her and she's trying to debate whether you know she has feelings for her you know back and it's just a really lovely and uh not just entirely fluffy movie it has kind of an edge to it mm -hmm. um, i'm not exactly sure how you're supposed to pronounce the director's name his name is Luke, uh, lucas moodison uh, i've seen a handful of his movies he did one called we are the best about a group of young children that start a punk band. Mm -hmm. But uh, I really like this movie and it's a uh, good LGBTQ plus <laughs> movie. <laughs> and uh, it's one I got through interlibrary loan, not, not legally streaming anywhere. So I highly recommend Show Me Love from 1998. So the first one I'll mention is, uh, <clears throat> I did a sort of deep dive into the career of Jonathan Dim a few years ago. Dimmy. Dimmy, Dimmy sorry. Uh, so almost immediately after his, his tragic passing. Um, but one of the sort of early ones that I couldn't find anywhere really was Melvin and Howard um, from 1980, which was one of the first movies that got him sort of on Hollywood's radar before he went on to make a, a pretty nice run of sort of serious romantic comedies like swing shift and married to the mob and um something wild before he went on to make his most well-known movie silence of the lambs um but melvin ha melvin and howard from 1980 i finally found it on amazon and bought the dvd and watched it uh in the last year and it's a pretty unusual movie it's about a sort of mechanic in utah who picks up a raggedy old man on the side of the road who claims to be Howard Hughes and has sort of an interesting evening with him and then years later in the mail uh, gets delivered what seems to be the last will and testament of Howard Hughes and he's the sole heir and a sort of uh, legal situation is created uh, as to whether this is the real will or whether this guy's faking it and trying to scam people um, but it's a very it, it sounds like it's very lighthearted, but there's actually some very serious sort of moments to it. It's a very nice, um, I wouldn't say nice, but it's an entertaining and revealing sort of movie about, you know, working class people and sort of the American Midwest sort of West. Um, and it's a very human movie and some really good performances. Mary Steenburgen um, is the lead female role and uh, it's just, excellent in this movie um but this is more sort of akin to 
the kind of movies Jonathan Demme made before Silence of the Lambs, like a swing shifter married to the mob um, that are kind of romantic comedies, but also a little more serious and have a little more depth to them than, you know, something like 27 Dresses or a Matthew McConaughey rom-com from the early 2000s, like Ghosts of Girlfriends Fast. Um, so Melvin and Howard from 1980, uh, I got it through a used DVD, I think, on Amazon, and it's not streaming anywhere, which uh, I would very much like that not to be the case, but because this is a movie I think more people should see, but as of now, it's only available on, on DVD, not even on Blu-ray, but uh, that's my first one. I got to see the movie at a retrospective for Jonathan Demme after he passed away with Paul Thomas Anderson talking about it in person oh, wow. in Brooklyn. And it is kind of a bridge between, he's, he's one of the many directors that started with Roger Corman doing films like Caged Heat. And he was uh, a writer director. And uh, Melvin and Howard is actually uh, a film that won Mary Steenburgen Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. Yeah, I was I wanted to say that, but I couldn't remember if that was correct. <laughs> and Best Screenplay, too. Oh, really? And oh, wow. uh, Jason Robards was nominated for Supporting Actor yeah. for playing Howard Hughes. Yeah. And um, quote yeah. unquote Howard Hughes. <laughs> right. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, I remember really enjoying that movie. Um, and the Criterion Collection has released a number of Demi films, yeah. including Sounds of Lambs and Something, Something Wild. Wild. Yeah. So uh, perhaps that will be one that could come out in the future. We can only hope. <laughs> right. Well, I'm going to pick two movies that are Asian genre movies. Uh, one is an all-time action classic, and one of the the other one is a movie that is one of my favorite films I've seen for the first time this year in 2022. Uh, the action classic is The Killer from 1989, directed by John Woo, arguably the greatest living action director, and The Killer being perhaps his greatest achievement. It is a insane, bloody, super violent shoot 'em up action movie, but he transports it and elevates it to high art. Uh, it's still a great genre movie and is super entertaining on a popcorn level, but he makes it almost like a dance film. His action scenes are balletic and I call it a ballet with bullets and blood. Um, <laughs> There's a Blu-ray that came out a number of years ago by this martial arts uh, label called Dragon Dynasty, but it is currently out of print and goes for uh, quite a bit of money on Amazon. But now you can watch this movie on YouTube, but it doesn't have English subtitles. <laughs> so it, unless you know Mandarin or whatever language it's in, I think it would be Mandarin, um, this Hong Kong action masterpiece, uh, honestly, one of the greatest action films I've ever seen. Uh, I highly wish and hope that it could get a release. It's one of the early films that was released in the Criterion Collection. Perhaps at some point there'll be a restoration and they'll re-release it through mm -hmm. their uh, uh, through their company. Um, I wanted to mention that I taught an action class in spring of 2020, and the first film we were going to watch 
once we got back from spring break was the killer, but then the pandemic hit and it was literally the only movie in the class that wasn't legally streaming anywhere. <laughs> and it was the first movie afterwards. So I ended up switching to face off, which is uh, I think by far his best American film, which is an awesome, insane movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you have only seen uh, his American films like Face Off or the first mission, uh, second Mission Impossible. Uh, yeah. I highly recommend going back and watching films like The Killer and Hard Boiled. Uh, yeah, Hard Boiled is very good. Yeah, it's insane. I think the height of his uh, mastery of the action genre is The Killer. Uh, the other one I want to recommend is Visitor Q. Uh, I mentioned in passing a few minutes ago Takashi Miike, mm-hmm. who uh, puts uh, Woody Allen and Clint Eastwood to shame. He doesn't just do a movie every year, year and a half. He does about three movies a year. <laughs> and this uh, is a movie that came out in kind of this hot streak of the very end of the 90s, early 2000s, where he's doing films like Audition, Ichi the Killer, and Visitor Q. Uh, my line about it, I posted on social media and was telling friends is that it may be the best film I've ever seen that I would recommend to virtually no one (laughs) because it's a really sick, depraved, black as black gets comedy that is just bordering on a horror film. It's just absolutely disgusting and awful, but I love it. I really is one of the best films I've seen so far this year for the first time, uh, older film. Uh, it's another one I got through interlibrary loan and, um, I don't really want to say too much about it, especially giving away the disgusting delights in it, but it's about this really disturbed family where the mother is addicted to drugs and is shooting up and the son, uh, just goes around beating the mother and the father is having a sexual relationship with his uh, young grown daughter. Goodness. Uh, a man comes into the family and kind of transforms it. Uh, it's very, very perverse. It's truly a movie I would not recommend to most people. <laughs> but I found it kind of remarkable. And it's an early, early movie that was shot on video because the movie came out in 2001. Hmm. But uh, it's called Visitor Q. It's one that I would love for one of these horror labels yeah. like Severin or uh, Shout Factory uh, to do a release of it. But uh, I really liked Visitor Q, a very like qualitative, you know, like this is not a film for most people. Like, I don't recommend it. I'll probably not watch it. (laughs) No, I mean, it's really not that like violent or like disturbing in the way that like Audition or Ichi the Killer is, but uh, the way those movies are, but it's really sick. It's like the sickest joke movie you could ever make, but I really (laughs) like legitimately loved it. Visitor Q. So my next one, uh, I first watched, I think, through the Netflix DVD plan um, and was sort of looking for it for uh, a very long time on Blu-ray and DVD and stuff like that. And then and I ended up having to get a, 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 I think, Region B version of it on DVD, which I couldn't play on my previous Blu-ray player. I had to use my xbox to, to watch it and but now that I've, I've gotten a better blu-ray player i can watch it on that um it is uh the name of the rose directed by jean-jacques anod i think who's best known for quest for fire that came out a few years before this one which came out in 1986 it's a adaptation of a umberto echo murder mystery set in a monastery in italy in the 14th century 
uh one of the great sean connery roles for my money have you ever seen this movie no i have not have you heard of the book <laughs> i have definitely heard of it yeah umberto echo is uh is not for most people um he sort of focused on very sort of obscure uh historical settings and uh sort of it's sort of like Forrest Gump for people who are interested in, in 14th century uh, European history, um, where you get sort of stuff about the Inquisition and uh, uh, I think William Bacon, who's sort of like an early scientist who graduated from Oxford when it was just in sort of its infancy. Um, but uh, Where did this film come out in Connery's connection, uh, his run of playing James Bond? Was this after his This is post-James Bond. James Bond um, this is right before the untouched. Uh, it's nineteen eighty six. Um, oh. So it's right before he wins the Oscar for the Untouchables in eighty seven. So right before sort of his career is reignited with that, and he starts appearing in you know Hunt for Red October and a cameo in Prince of Thieves and stuff like that. So it's an interesting period in his career, and he's he plays a sort of Sherlock Holmes type. Uh, he's a Franciscan monk, but he's also like, a, you know, uh, sort of uses deductive reasoning to, to figure out crimes. And um, it's a, it's a really well cast movie. A lot of people with very sort of interesting faces in it. Uh, Michael Lonsdale is uh, plays the sort of uh, head of the monastery um, and a really good performance by uh, F. Murray Abraham as an inquisitor near the end of the movie. But um, I don't think this movie it's is for a- most people because it is sort of very obscure in its setting. And I don't think too many people are interested in sort of canon law of uh, the Catholic church in the 14th century. Uh, But for someone like me, who's very interested in that kind of stuff to, and is a big fan of Umberto Eco and his novels, this is, it's very cool to see his novels come to life. And this was made as a mini series, I think on Sundance TV a few years ago, where John Chichuro played the Sean Connery character. And it is a, uh, not nearly as good of an adaptation as this one for my money right yeah i have not seen this one uh i was going to say that this is right after fw um f murray abraham was yeah for amadeus yeah right um yeah brings a real sort of gravity to the the final third of this movie it has a really young um uh what's his name uh the guy who's in for romance the star of that uh christian Christian Slater. slater yeah very young christian slater in this movie also all right. Well, is it an entertaining movie? I mean, if oh yeah, it's... I for me it, it totally is because I I love murder mysteries. I especially love murder mysteries set in the past. Um, so for I mean, it's it's not like a Knives Out sort of like barrel last kind of murder mystery. Is it like but... Murder on the Orient Express, Agatha Christie like? Yes, yes, sort of like that, but also sort of involving this very sort of Umberto Eco type obscure Italian history. Um, which you know is right up my alley i don't think this is but, for most people but i think it's a really entertaining movie if you are interested. well but you're selling it like it's like andre rublev meets agatha christie but it's not that like art housey no it kind of is oh really <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean well, uh and it, it does it does change the novel uh especially the ending because um uh, the ending of the novels is quite bleak in a way that i don't think would would fit with a, a sean connery movie um, but in a lot of ways, I think it does actually improve on, uh, on Umberto Eco's ending to the novel, which I think is a little disappointing after suffering through 450 pages of uh, sort of obscure historical facts and loads of untranslated Latin, uh, which, which took a while for me to get through. Um, 
this is much more accessible than the book um so it's sort well, of a, a taste of echo well i was going to add that uh sean connery won the bafta for best actor for this film so oh really had a really good streak of winning for that and then yeah. supporting actor oscar for the untouchables yeah i mean so. he's incredible in this movie he's like sort of perfect as as william of baskerville who's like a, a proto sherlock holmes sort of figure um i i mean i think it's amazing i don't I don't think most people would enjoy it, but uh, if you are interested in sort of historical murder mysteries, this is this is one of the best you'll be able to find. All right. Well, uh, a movie that came out in 1971 by a director, actor, writer that I really admire uh, that was at one point briefly on the Criterion channel, but is currently not streaming anywhere and hasn't been for a while is John Cassavetes' Minnie and Moskowitz. Starring uh, Cassavetti's wife, Gina Rollins, and uh, frequent co-star Seymour Cassell. Mm -hmm. uh, is this one you've ever seen of his? No, I've only, I've only ever seen one Cassavetti's movie that he directed, uh, Killing of a Chinese Bookie. So he's a real gap in my uh, sort of film knowledge. Because one of the, I guess, maybe like the most important independent director before like the 1990s, I guess you could argue. Yeah, so he was a well-known actor. He plays the husband in Rosemary's Baby, Oscar-nominated for the dirty, dirty dozen, dozen. Uh, and he started making films in the late 50s i mean he did a film called shadows but he really hit a streak in the late 60s through the 70s with films like Sh uh, faces a woman under the influence and uh husbands opening night uh Mani and minnie and moskowitz is a kind of quirky romantic comedy drama that stars gina rollins and seymour cassell and uh, I would not recommend necessarily this uh, to every viewer because Cassavetes is kind of a director you have to get on his wavelength, but yeah. I'm a big fan of his. Um, this is actually one of his more accessible movies because it's kind of a romantic comedy, mm -hmm. um, but it's very off kilter and it has its own pace and style and i can imagine some people finding the lead characters kind of grating mm -hmm. uh, he kind of makes characters that are difficult and complex but uh one reason i recommend this movie it is out of print there's been a anchor bay blu-ray uh dvd just a dvd but i got it through interlibrary loan and it has an audio commentary over the whole, whole film with the two stars oh, wow. Gina Rollins and seymour cassell uh and uh, i really wish the criterion collection would release it or some company there's a uh, most of his films are in the criterion collection there's even a box set of cassavetti's films and then a few of his other ones as single discs on their own but Minnie and Moskowitz is not legally streaming anywhere. And uh, I was really lucky that I got to see a number of Cassavetti's films at a retrospective early on in New York City at Metrograph. And I got to see Gina Rollins in person. Oh, wow. And she's in her early 90s now. She's still alive, hasn't acted in a few years, but she is to me up there with Tilda Swinton, Meryl Streep, Isabel Huppert, as one of the absolute greatest living actresses mm -hmm. and um woman of the influences like truly one of the greatest film performances ever but many of moskowitz even though it's out of print on dvd and not legally streaming anywhere is actually one of uh cassavetti's more accessible films so i really enjoyed it. it's one of the best movies i've seen for the first time so far this year of an older movie many and moskowitz 1971 
So uh, my next one, I think, is definitely my most accessible movie on this list. Um, not available to purchase anywhere in the U.S. on DVD or Blu-ray and not streaming anywhere, but you can get a, a European uh, copy, I think, through Arrow on Blu-ray, which won't play on most American Blu-ray players. But if you have a region free, um, you can get it that way. I watched this for the first time on TCM. And I think watched it another two times in the next week. I was so sort of blown away by it. Uh, it is To Live and Die in L.A., directed by William Friedkin from 1985, uh, starring William Peterson. It is about a Secret Service agent working in Los Angeles who goes after a counterfeiting uh, sort of ring led by a very young Willem Dafoe. Um, you also get John Turturro in a sort of minor role. Um, this is w William Peterson, who went on to be best known, I think, for CSI. Uh, but and playing uh, the lead in Michael Mann's Manhunter, yes, the first Hannibal Lecter film, which I think right came out the year after this. Um, uh, but he's absolutely incredible in To Live and Die in LA. It's very much influenced stylistically mm -hmm. by Miami Vice, which premiered uh, the year before in television. And I think uh, the, the creator of Miami Vice, Anthony Yerkovich, uh, was basically convinced that they'd like ripped off his whole sort of shtick when they made uh, To Live and Die in L.A. Um, but this has the best car chase I've ever seen in a movie, um, which happens about. And this is by the, the director it. of The French Connection. Yes, he's exactly. Two of the best. So the he's, best. he sort of wanted to one up what he did with the. Uh, the car chase which is following the the elevated subway train in the french connection um it's this is a very stylistic movie it's incredibly 80s the soundtrack was done by wang chung um but it actually they actually have some really good songs in this movie including the the title track to live and die in la which i think is is fantastic um but yeah i watched this for the first time on tcm i kept it on my dvr for a while um, before deleting it and then was like uh, I really want to watch this again but there was it wasn't available anywhere so I had to I had to get a European version of it on Blu-ray um, so this is one I'm sure it will come on TCM again so that might be the only way for people to catch it if you don't have a region free region free Blu-ray or it's not released on Criterion or Kino Lorber or someone like that in the near future which I'd be I would love it if it was because I think this is sort of dying for a 4k release it would look incredible in 4k um have you seen this no i have not and i need to because even though i've never seen a fast and furious film i love car chase films yeah <laughs> uh mad max fury road's my favorite film of the previous decade i grew up one of my favorite films growing up is it's a mad 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 world and i've heard that to live and die in la has one of the best if not the best car chases uh, ever it's, it's incredible it's just, it goes on for like way longer than you expect it to go also, but sort of keeps escalating the situation. It just keeps getting crazier and crazier. And um, William Friedkin, I think, is just sort of a master of, of the thriller. Um, and I think and I this think, is one of his best ones. And I think most people would say that this is Friedkin's best film from the 80s to the present. Probably, yeah. Um, there's not a whole lot of other ones in contention for that. He had his sort of glorious run uh, in the 1970s with like the exorcist and uh, French connection, obviously and sorcerer, which is a fantastic movie that was uh, had a very troubled production. I think that uh, influenced its sort of reception by critics and was a massive failure at the box office, but 
um, to live and die in LA, I think is, it's one of the best movies I've seen the last two years. Um, I think it's incredible. Right. Yeah. I, I really want to see it. Cause I, 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 it's just one of those that you think, I mean, like with some of these, you're like, Oh, well, that's streaming, but it's not, no. like, <laughs> you, you would think it would be, yeah. but um, so my uh, next two are really kind of grouped together by one, a director and one, an actor slash writer. Uh, but my number two, I'm going to talk about is Douglas Sirk. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one interesting thing is that this new horror film Pearl came out and it's this lush, lurid, technicolor uh, kind of throwback to classic Hollywood. It looks like a Douglas Sirk film. And I was actually recommending to a friend that uh, he could watch one of Douglas Sirk's films to get kind of one of the inspirations for Pearl. And yet three of his most popular films, his most acclaimed films are not legally streaming anywhere. Uh, and they came out uh, three years in a row. Uh, Magnificent Obsession, All That Heaven Allows, and Written on the Wind. How about none that? of them legally streaming. That's they're all, crazy. They're all on Criterion Blu-ray, Written yeah. on the Wind, a fairly recent release. But Douglas Sirk, uh, if anyone doesn't know, he is a German director, actually, who came to America and made films in the 40s and 50s and Last one came out in 1959. Actually, one of the best last movies by a director, Imitation of Life. And mm-hmm. that one is streaming. But those three movies I mentioned uh, are just great examples of, he was a director who made what they were called women's pictures or melodramas. Yeah. And they often got Academy Award nominations. Dorothy Malone won Best Supporting Actress for Written on the Wind. They were uh, successful films. But a lot of American critics at the time were somewhat dismissive of them and thought, oh, they're just women's pictures or weepies. But directors and critics in France, like the late Jean-Luc Godard, uh, the ones who wrote for Caillou de Cinema, actually would praise them much more than the contemporary American critics were. A lot like Hitchcock. Right, Hitchcock and Nicholas Ray, they were saying, you know, yes, some of these are, you know, genre, low genre movies, but they are better than a lot of the kind of prestige pictures that came out in yeah. the fifties. You know, you look at some of the best picture nominees in the fifties and they're really greatest show on earth, <laughs> forgettable movies. And then there's like Douglas Sirk's greatest films. Yeah. Uh, so uh, all three of those, I highly recommend just a bit of film history. All that heaven allows was remade kind of twice by two other auteurs. There's Rainer Werner Fassbender's Ali, Fear Eats the Soul. And then there was Todd Haynes, Far From Heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am a fan. I've not seen too many Douglas Sirk films. I've only seen about seven or eight. But uh, those, <laughs> That's three, <still> pretty good. <laughs> those three, uh, Magnificent Obsession, All That Heaven Allows, and Written on the Wind, all three starring Rock Hudson, yeah. uh, are on Criterion Blu-ray. But for some reason, not legally streaming anywhere, not even on the Criterion channel at this moment. Yeah, he, I mean, he's one of those directors with just an incredible visual sense and sort of elevated Technicolor past the point of it being sort of a gimmick and, you know, really made it like incredibly artful, his use of color, um, especially and, in All That Heaven Allows. And his films are more intelligent and subversive than one may think at first viewing or, you know, you can watch the film on a surface level and they're just enjoyable, they're well acted, they're emotionally stimulating but 
his mm-hmm. films are actually a lot more interesting. His best films are more interesting than the American critics at the time largely mm-hmm. gave him credit for. And he's considered one of the great auteurs along with like John Ford and Hitchcock and Howard Hawks from this, uh, you know, 50s, 60s period. Mm-hmm. Um, so my next movie is also one I watched for the first time on TCM and is available uh, I know on eBay and you can also get it on DVD through Amazon. Um, this is the only female director of these sort of lists um, of physical media available movies that I am counting down. It is Shag directed by Zelda Baron from 1989 starring Bridget Fonda and Phoebe Cates. Uh, it is about four teenage girls who escape their middle-class parents for a few days in 1963 to go on a sort of last adventure before you know going to college or entering adulthood in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And uh, it's just a sort of very fun sort of tribute to the early 1960s. Um, it's, uh, I guess, kind of a tribute to movies like, what is it, Where the Boys Are? Is that the right one? The sort of uh, teen comedy. And the beach movies. party movies to some yeah, degree. Yeah, exactly. The sort of beach party movies that you got in the sort of late 50s, early 60s where like the beach, beach boys. Beach blanket bingo. Camera. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Stuff like that. Uh, so a really, really fun movie. Um, and it's interesting to see uh, Phoebe Cates and Bridget Fonda in uh, sort of an early stage in their career. Uh, Phoebe Cates and are kind of like... two actors and neither of them from... have acted in like 20 years yeah phoebe think. kate's basically like retired almost immediately both, after both this of them movie. and then bridget yeah. fonda was 10 years later or so right i think she retired in like the late 90s um bridget but... fonda's last credit was 2002 and phoebe kate's last credit uh was in uh well she had small parts and but really hasn't done anything since 94 hardly. yeah so i mean and they're just like fantastic young actresses in this movie and uh it does make you sort of uh a little sad that they didn't uh continue their their acting careers into sort of uh you know middle age but they're just delightful in this one and this is uh like we like all the others not available for streaming but i did watch this on tcm and um I, i think you can get it through the netflix dvd plan as well um but this is one i really highly recommend it it's a little more fun than uh than some of the others uh that maybe both of us will mention yeah well i'm from south carolina but i have not seen this movie i kind of yeah. only know it because it's a film set in south carolina which is not <laughs> and there aren't a whole lot <laughs> right but uh shag okay my number one is an actor slash usually uncredited writer but i think he's the funniest person in film history wc fields i think that it is a shame that he is not more well known these days because he is one of the very few people in any kind of entertainment film television radio stand up that he couldn't not be funny i mean he is just to me the funniest person in film history and Kino Lorber has released seven of his films uh, within the last few years on Blu-ray, including what I think is the funniest film of all time. My fourth favorite film of all time is It's a Gift from 1934. It's directed by Norman Z. McLeod. And he, uh, I think it's an absolute gem. Um, All uh, of these seven movies, I'll just list them off real quick. You're telling me 
the old-fashioned way. It's a gift. Man on the flying trapeze. You can't cheat an honest man. The bank dick and never give a sucker an even break. They're all under 90 minutes. A lot of them under 75 minutes. It's a gift. It's like 68 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And I just absolutely adore W.C. Fields. I think that he was a super influential comedian. I just don't think that today he's nearly as well remembered as some of the others, like the Three Stooges and the Marx Brothers and Chaplin and Keaton. But he is a master. And I recommend all those movies. Um, it's a gift is a film that uh, David Lynch was uh, asked once to name some of his favorite movies and he talked for about a minute and a half and It's a Gift is one he mentioned by name. Uh Uh, Stanley Kubrick once picked The Bank Dick as one of his favorite films of all time. So I adore W.C. Fields. Have you actually seen any of his whole films? No, I have not. Yeah, he he frequently- I've seen him act in uh, David Copperfield from 1934 um and basically his only dramatic rule yeah (laughs) and then i've had it's a gift recorded on dvr for some time but i haven't gotten around to actually watching it it was like one of those things you mentioned that you can sort of put stuff off if it's available and uh that's definitely one i've done that with yeah so i can't recommend him enough uh i just adore his movies they're laugh out loud screamingly funny uh it's a gift and the bank dick are probably his two best known uh the american film institute did a list over 20 years ago of the 100 funniest american movies it was the one movie in the top 100 of his on the list there should have been more the bank dick should have been on it too mm-hmm. but uh i really like all these movies um his movie my little chickadee which stars with uh may west is streaming and it's not either of their very best movies but still very funny but uh i would recommend trying to get it's a gift uh, a lot of his movies play on turner classic movies and you can watch some of his shorts like the dentist and the pharmacist and the fatal glass of beer there uh there was a criterion dvd released of his shorts but you can easily watch those I don't know if it's like entirely like official release anywhere streaming, but they're just on YouTube, but watch It's a Gift, watch The Bank Dick, some of the funniest movies ever, ever made. So I'm going to sort of cheat a little bit on my final two and that one of them is streaming on one service, but it's a service I don't have and assume most people don't. Um, it is Hope and Glory directed by John Borman from 1987. It is available on Tubi. Um, which is not one of the more popular streaming services and it's not one I subscribe to. So as far as I'm concerned, it's not streaming anywhere. Um, But this is one of my favorite movies. It's uh, about the Blitz, uh, the sort of bombing of London in the early 1940s. But as sort of serious as a topic as that may sound, it's entirely sort of through the perspective of, uh, I think, an eight-year-old who sort of is just excited by everything that's happening and the fact he doesn't have to go to school and is just sort of pretending that he's in this like uh mythical sort of world where all this world changing stuff is happening to him and it's a really really entertaining movie and some very delightful and human moments in it uh john borman's best known for deliverance this is about as far from deliverance as a movie could possibly be and the other is a tv show which was streaming on peacock up until earlier this year and is now not streaming anywhere but i have the first two seasons on dvd it is miami vice uh from the 1980s 
created by Anthony Yurkovich and executive produced by Michael Mann. Um, uh, my favorite part about this show is that for a lot of about half an hour of each of the episodes are basically like extended music videos where they just allow the whole song to play through and just have very cool uh sort of neon lit stuff happening uh sort of over these uh very cool 1980s songs so this is a, a very fun show to just sort of uh turn your brain off and just sort of consume uh miami in the 1980s in a very fun way and it's you know one of those sort of crime of the week tv shows where each week it's a different crime and a different sort of people they need to go after so uh, you can kind of watch whatever episode you want there's not much of a continuous story that happens with miami vice but uh, it was streaming on peacock which is where i was watching it but then when it, it took off i bought the first two seasons on dvd but uh, this is one of the the best tv shows i've watched in the last few years the first season is available to buy on Amazon, but only the first season in standard definition. Uh -huh. And Hope and Glory is only available in standard definition on this streaming <laughs> service, Tubi, yeah. uh, which I'm not entirely clear if it might even have ads. It does have ads, or, yeah. yeah. So it's so you're kind of cheating, but there, I mean, one yeah. thing <laughs> is I say I only get the interlibrary loan with ones that aren't legally streaming. I'll get it through there if it's a service i don't have or if it's in standard definition yeah uh i don't so i have hoping glory on blu-ray i think i got it through amazon um i couldn't Best picture nominee it isn't it yeah yeah it's um, sort of forgotten now but it's an incredible movie i remember roger avery the man who quentin tarantino wrote uh pulp fiction with they won the oscar and they started a podcast a few months ago he was on another podcast uh doing an episode and promoting their podcast and he said that hope and glory is like one of his like favorite movies and yeah. it's crim criminally underrated oh yeah but i have it recorded off of turner classic movies have never seen it but uh uh it's one that i will get to eventually maybe some company will release it <laughs> yeah i hope um but that's just about all we've got time for uh, today it was definitely a different sort of episode we didn't review any movies we didn't really do a top five but i guess we kind of did um but i hope you guys uh will sort of indulge our sort of particular interest because we are two big uh proponents of physical media and we think that it's just sort of gonna get less and less important as the years go on so if we can Let's end with long live physical media. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, well, thank you for listening, and we'll be back with you guys next time.